So good morning. It's a good day, and it's a good day because today is solely Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. So we're going to continue in a series this morning uh, entitled, I Am Is. I Am refers to the name of God. So in this series, what we're doing is that we're taking a look at who I Am is. We're looking at who God is, what is he like, so we get a better understanding and a grasp of this God that we worship on a Sunday morning and, Lord willing, worship throughout, throughout the week. So what we did in the first week is that we pondered the truth that I am is triune. So there is one God and only one God, and God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What we discussed last week is that I am is eternal. So the name of God, which is Yahweh, like one song that we sang, right? He is Yahweh. We sang that. That's the name of God. The name Yahweh is derived from the words I am, which are a form of the verb to be. So God's name, in a sense, is he is, right? He be. God be which is like a weird way of putting it. But just think of it this way. There has never been a time where God hasn't be, and there won't ever be a time where God won't be. He is eternal. He has always been and always will be. He is be. He is I am. I am is eternal. And today we're pondering the truth that I am is immutable. So if you have your Bible with you, I always hope that you do. Let's open up to the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. It's between Philemon and James. And please open up to Hebrews chapter 6. And as you're turning there, let me just share a little story with you. So um, our oldest is Edie, and she is 10 years old. Uh, But when she was like two and a half, three years old or so, one day I was in the kitchen and little cute, little E, she comes walking into the kitchen and she said, daddy, daddy, I want a blueberry popsicle. And she was like so excited and enthused to have a blueberry popsicle. And she was like so cute, right? I'm like, of course, I'm going to give her a little popsicle. So I go into the freezer and I take out the popsicle box and there were no more blueberry popsicles. All we had were pineapple. So I'm thinking, no problem, because pineapple popsicles are my personal favorite. What's not to like? So I said very enthusiastically to, to Edie, I said, Edie, we don't have any blueberry popsicles, but we got pineapple. I said that. Little Edie, she throws her hands up. She tears out of the kitchen, running, screaming and crying, dreams don't come true. (laughs) Poor little Edie. Her dreams were crushed. The letdown, the devastation of her dream and her hopes, her aspirations for a blueberry popsicle were not to be realized. That is what happens when we place our hope, dreams, and aspirations on things that are not guaranteed. That's what happens when we place our hope in things that are not immutable. What does that word mean? It's just a nice, fancy word for unchangeable, for unalterable. So in James chapter 1, verse 17, 
It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or, as the old hymn would say, great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. God is unchangeable. He is unalterable. He is immutable. There is no hint. There's no whisper. There's not even a flickering of a shadow of change within who God is. He never ever varies from who he is in any way. He is never other than who and what he is ever. So in Exodus 3.14, God reveals his name. He says, I am who I am. Now, here's the thing. Here's the difference between, or one of, the differences between God and me. See, today I might be nice, but I might not be either. And I might be loving, but then I might be not so much. And I may say some nice things that will encourage someone but at the same time, I may turn around and say some pretty nasty, offensive things. I and mean, you just don't know what you might get with me. With me, there's a lot of might coulds. I'm, my life is full of might coulds. I might could do this. And for you Yankees, you might could messes with your head, right? In Southern talk, that's good grammar. Like, it might could. I might could do this. I might could do that. You just don't know. But with God, there is no might. There is no might in God. He did not say, I might be who I might be. He said, I am who I am. I is. I am who I say that I am. There's no ambiguity to God, only certainty to who God is. So it is because God is immutable and unchanging. It is because of that truth that we can, in fact, trust him. It is because there is no shadow of turning with thee, with God. It is because of that that we can actually avoid living with false hope and the crushing life disappointments of dream don't come true moments in our life. It is because God is immutable that we can live with confidence if we place our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations and our expectations upon that which is immutable, which is God, his purposes, and his promises. So I, that's what we're getting into in Hebrews chapter 6. We're just going to glean a little bit here, and I hope that we all leave here very much encouraged that God does not change, that I am is immutable. All right, so let's start here in Hebrews 6. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's writing to this group of Christians um, 
who started out in their faith very strong. They were, they, were, they were the real deal. They were getting it done. It actually says in the previous verse, in Hebrews 6.10, it says that, that the writer is actually commending them for all of their work and all of their love for God and for others. It says in verse 11 that they were earnest to do so, eager, ready, willing, wanting to experience energy in this work and this love toward God and others. So they were a good group of believers. But what he's doing also in verse 11 and 12, he's trying to encourage them and motivate them and inspire them. Keep going. Like, don't stop. He actually says, don't get sluggish. Don't get lazy, right? Don't quit. Finish well. You started a race. Finish the race well, and in order to do so, they have to do what he asked them to do in verse 12, which is, hey, imitate the example of believers who have come before you and look at how they displayed faith and patience. Because they displayed faith and patience, they inherited promises, right? So display faith and patience, and this is precisely what we need to do today. We need to be people who display in faith and patience in our lives. So what is, what is faith? And I, every time this comes up, I always feel the need to unpack it and define it because I do believe that this is a word that is very much misunderstood in our day and age. So faith involves two things, choice and commitment. It's both. It is a choice and it is also commitment. So in Christian circles, there must be first a choice to follow Jesus, and that choice to follow Jesus must be followed with commitment to follow Jesus. Biblically, that's how the word is defined. It, it, faith is really closer to faithfulness than it is simply to just belief. Or you could say that faith biblically is belief to the point of resulting in faithfulness. So there is a choice, and it must be followed with commitment. It's belief to the point of following Jesus faithfully. That's faith. So it, it, that messes with some people, right? Well, it just says to believe. But you got to consider, for the most part, Jesus didn't walk around saying, hey, believe in me, believe in me. Like Jesus walked around telling people what? Follow, follow me. Follow me, follow me. So it's, that is what Jesus is inviting us all into, into a life of faithfully following him. That's faith. That's what it is. Well, being, I don't know if you've noticed this, but being a follower of Jesus is not particularly easy. I mean, raise your hand if you get five gold stars every day, and it's just you say, no, no, this is a cake. This is a cakewalk. Walking with Jesus is a cakewalk. Raise your hand if you think that's the case. And if you've been a believer for more than five minutes, you realize pretty quickly how hard and challenging it is to be faithful to, to Christ. And that's why the writer in verse 12 adds the word patience to the word faith. You must have faith and patience. So patience means calm, right? I mean, just in the simplest of terms, patience means calm. Patience isn't simply looking calm on the outside. It's also being calm on the inside. 
Like, usually we really butcher the definition of this word. It's like, oh, they made me so mad, right? And I'm, you're about to hulk out, right? But no, I'm going to be patient, so I'm just going to swallow it down. That's not patience. That's just managing your emotions. That's something else. That's not what patience is. Patience is just not getting mad to begin with. Like, patience is just simply being at peace. It's being calm. So for Christians, it means emotional calm while being steadfast to the Lord. That's patience. Patience is being at peace while, while following Jesus. Faith needs patience. It has to have it. If you haven't noticed, your personal faith is always under attack. Always. I mean, just think over the last seven days, just over the last seven days, how much has come against you? Denise? Probably not. Because some of you go to work, and then there's that person at work who apparently their job is to make your job difficult and miserable. There's, there's the jerk face. The jerk face, jerk face at work, right? Um, something broke down this week. Hot water heater, air conditioner, a car. So that bill came in. You had to pay that out. Doctor's report was not what we were hoping. There's that. I mean, just think about how much comes our way. Like, spouse, man, they said something to me, and it's just discouraging, and it hurts, and I'm trying to get over it, but good gracious. Uh, what else happened this week? For no good reason, no good reason, Harnett County decides no schools. That means my office is in my house. That means there's four chitlins. That means there's a lot of crying and screaming at the house. Mostly me because of them. I mean, just think about how much happens. Someone accuses you of something that you didn't do. Between the Sundays, I mean, so much happens to us every week, right? Like, our life is pretty much... Dreams don't come true moments, one after the other, after the other, after the other. It's, we're always under attack. I, I would put it this way. There's, there's only really two seasons of life, rainy and really rainy. <laughs> like either we're in a season of just rain and it's just a constant drip, drip of challenges and a constant drip, drip of negativity, drip, drip 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 or it's monsoon and it's crisis in this next storm of life like that's pretty much what it is so what what i'm getting at is that we're drenched we're always drenched in trials we're drenched with difficulties and problems and tribulations and it just keeps raining uh that just reminds me of that scene in forrest gump where forrest describes life as a soldier in Vietnam, and he says, one day, it started raining, <laughs> and it didn't quit for four months. We had every kind of rain there is, a little bit of stinging rain, big old fat rain, 
rain that flew in sideways, and sometimes rain even seemed to come straight up from underneath. <laughs> Shoot, it even rained at night. <laughs> For those listening at home, audience said that was good. <laughs> and then, a little bit after that little rain thing, he says, and then someone shut it off. It stopped raining. And when it stopped raining, what happened? It started raining bullets, if you remember the movie. If you haven't seen it by now, spoiler alert, I don't care. Like, you've had plenty of time. Okay, like as soon as the rain stopped, he finds himself in a firefight, in a firefight in which he loses his best friend and he gets shot in the buttocks. <laughs> Is that not life? Rain, rain, some worse, night, day, all the time. Life's pressures, the world's distractions, the attacks of the devil, it's it puts a strain on our faith, does it not? I mean, it's just this heavy burden, and it just starts wearing and wearing and wearing at us. Well, what happens is it makes it really easy to be tempted to be discouraged. When you go through all that life will throw at us, it's really tempting to panic and to freak out. Or worse, be tempted to throw in the towel and quit on Jesus altogether. That's why faith must be accompanied with patience. That's why this commitment to follow Jesus must be married, married to a calmness. Like the only way I'm going to be able to finish well is if I can have some peace as I walk through this life, as I follow Jesus. So the only way to be patient, right, the only way that I could even begin to have some sense of calm as I'm committed to Jesus, as I'm going through life's crises, the only way I have a shot at that kind of patience is if I keep my eyes on God's promises. That's the only way. And so the writer in Hebrews actually gives us an example of what that looks like in real life. So look at verses 13 through 17. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited obtained the promise for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose he guaranteed it with an oath so let me give you the background of what he's he, he's talking about there all the way back in the book of Genesis Chapter 12, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, God makes a promise to a man named Abram, who eventually his name becomes Abraham. And and God didn't just make a promise. He actually says that he swore, not a cuss word, right? God swore, and he swore by himself. 
meaning he took an oath. It's what the writer in Hebrews is saying. When he swore, he's making an oath. So he didn't just make a promise. He took an oath in regards to that promise. By taking an oath, what he's doing is he set himself up as the guarantor of the promise. So a guarantor, think of it in, in these days. You need a loan. So you go to the bank. And the bank reviews your financials. And after reviewing your financials, the bank says, ah, sorry to tell you, you don't qualify for the loan. So then you, because you need the loan, you go find someone who could guarantee, be your guarantor in regards to that loan. So you ask that person, hey, would you co-sign so that I can get the loan? So then the person says, sure. And, and the conversation in essence is, hey, bank, if Billy Joe can't pay the loan back, I guarantee that I will. I promise that I will. So the guarantor must be a person who's financially superior to the person asking for the loan, right? Well, what the writer here is getting at is that there's no one superior to God. So when God swore by his name, what he was doing was he was self-co-signing. He, Lord Almighty, was taking an oath, co-signing, guaranteeing that the promise would in fact be fulfilled. I am the guarantor. So, well, God didn't just make a promise. He didn't actually only make or take an oath. Technically, what God did was make a covenant. So a covenant is a non-breakable, unbreakable binding agreement between parties. And technically, you don't make a covenant, you cut a covenant. You cut one. So the way it worked in Old Testament days, it's like you had two parties, let's say. We're going to enter into a covenant together. Okay, so then it would take one or more animals they would take said animal, and they would cut them in half, okay? Then they would take the pieces of the carcass, one on this side and one on that side. The parties would stand. They would state their obligations in regards to the covenant. They would state their promises in regards to the covenant. And then they would walk in between the carcass pieces, symbolizing, may what happened to that animal happen to me if I break my oath. So you cut a covenant into, into place. And that is actually what took place back in the book of Genesis. So Abram, and this is Genesis chapter 12, Abram is 75 years old. God calls him at his age to leave his homeland and go to a brand new land. He does so. He... he gets to that homeland, and God, then moving into Genesis 15, pretty much says to him, hey, all of this land I'm giving to you and your offspring and your descendants forever. Sounds like a cool promise. There's a problem. Abram has no children. His wife, who's also a seasoned citizen at the time, who wasn't able to have children when she was younger, is well beyond childbearing years. So God says, I got this. I will make a promise. I'm going to give you, Abram, a son, even in your old age. You were going to have a son. So he promised him a son. He, he goes on. If you take those two chapters together, Genesis 12 and 15, the promise is, I'm going to give you a son. 
that son is going to give rise to a brand new people, the nation of Israel, right? God's people. Through that nation is going to come one who's going to bless all of the nations of the world. Okay, that's the promise that God made to Abram. So then, after that, so in Genesis 15, verse 9, Abram, God tells Abraham, hey, bring me a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Why not? In verse 10, Abraham cut the animals in two, except for the little birds, right? But the bigger animals, he cut them in two. And then in Genesis 15, verse 17, it says that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the animal pieces. Those items, that that pot, that smoking fire pot and that flaming torch represent God himself. So what God did was he stated the promise, the obligations, and then he himself went through the animal pieces and says, may that happen to me if I don't keep my role in this. The very next verse in Genesis 15, 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant. And the word in the Hebrew is really not made. It's karat, which means to cut. So on that day, God cut a, a covenant guaranteeing, guaranteeing that all of those promises would, in fact, be fulfilled. Do you know how long Abraham had to wait for that son to arrive? 25 years. I can't wait 25 minutes. 25 years of waiting for this promise. Just part of the promise. Not even the whole thing. Part of the promise to be fulfilled. That's a long time to wait. And let me tell you, during those 25 years, it wasn't all rainbows and puppy dog tails for Abraham. Like if you read from Genesis 12 through Genesis 21, there is a whole lot of rain in his life. A whole bunch of rain. Problems and trials, a lot of it self-imposed. I mean, he finds himself at major conflict with his nephew at one point. His wife finds herself in conflict with the servant girl at one point. All kinds of family drama. And that was a dysfunctional family. Right? Like he found himself like having to battle local chieftains in the area. Like it was hard, hard living. But in the end, through his faith and patience, he inherited the promises. He inherited what God had told him. He endured to the end because he kept his eyes on the promise. He waited patiently on the promise. He finished well because it says in in Genesis 15, 6, he believed the Lord. He believed. He trusted God. And so can we. Why can we trust God? Three things here. Number one, we can trust God because his purposes are immutable. So back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. It says, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, who are the heirs of the promise? We are. 
Like those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, who are committed to follow him, we're the heirs of the promise. So again, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So right there it says that God's purpose is what? Unchangeable. God's purpose is in fact immutable. Job 42, verse 2, very famously declares the purpose of God cannot be thwarted. His plans cannot be hindered. Like his desires cannot be halted. They can't be restrained. Nothing can stop God's purposes from being fulfilled. The reason God's purposes are unchangeable is because God himself is unchangeable. If God could change to any degree, then we couldn't trust his purposes because if he changed just enough, then maybe his purposes would change too. But because God does not vary, does not alter does not change or evolve or morph in any way. Because of that, we can fully trust him when he states his purposes. Number two, why can we trust God? Because his promises and oaths are immutable. Not oaths, oaths. I can't even say it now. His promises and vows, let's say go there. So look at verse 18. It says that God convinces us that his purposes are unchangeable by two unchangeable things. Those two things are the promise and the oath. Those are the two things that are unchangeable, meaning the oath and the promises are immutable. So everything that God ever says, oath, promise, everything God ever says is unchangeable. We read in Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word is firm, firmly fixed. It is fixed forever. It does not change. It is, in fact, unbreakable. So the reason that God, his promise and his oath is unchangeable is because, again, God himself is what? Unchangeable, because if God could change, then his word could change. But it says his word can't. Why? Because he himself cannot change. He isn't fickle. He isn't capricious. He just, he's firm. He himself, his word is firm because he himself is firm. So therefore, we can trust God's purposes and trust his promises because he himself is immutable. And number three, why can we trust God? Because his character is immutable. So look again at verse 18. It actually says in verse 18, it is impossible for God to do what? To lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So let's let's add a few more verses to this. Psalm 102, verse 25 and 27 says, Of old you, referring to God, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same. And then God said in Malachi 3.6, he said, For I, the Lord, do not change. Now, last week we talked about God being eternal. 
Right, so he's outside of time. He's forever. That's a long time. And he doesn't ever change. Like, that is a bit confounding, right? Because how much do we change every day? We change our clothes two or three times. Shave, maybe. Some of us, hair's falling out. Like, we're under constant change. Some good, some not so good. And God forever exists, and he does not change. Why? Because he's perfect. So A.W. Pink, not to be confused with A.W. Tozer, who I've been quoting a lot the last couple of weeks, A.W. Pink said this, He, God, cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect, and being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. God is perfect. What that means is that it rules out any possibility of God varying in character in any way. It rules out the possibility that he will ever, in any shape, form, or fashion, or to any degree, even a little shadow, no shadow of change. He cannot, will not change. He can't lie because his character is to tell the truth. He can't lie because he always tells the the truth. And he can only tell the truth because he is the truth, right? Like fully and forever and always. That is who he is. So he can't lie because it would be a contradiction. For him to lie, he would have to change. But he can't change because he's perfect. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He's perfect. He cannot cease to be who he is. There's no chance that he might change because there's no might to God. God did not say, I might be who I might be. He says, I am who I am. It's definitive and it's certain. He is who he always has been and he will always be who he is. God does not change His character does not change. His purposes do not change. His promises do not change. Praise God. Praise God. God is faithful. He keeps his word. He did so with Abraham. Abraham did get the son that God had promised. Did he not? He did. Isaac was born, and through that son, That gave rise to a nation. That took place. God kept his promise. And through that nation came even a better son. Through that nation, through God's people, Israel, came a much better son, the son of God, who came to this world that we may be saved. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of that old covenant. And Jesus is the means by which we're invited into a new covenant. You know the difference or one of the differences between that old covenant back then and the new one? The old one was cut through the sacrifice of animals. The new one was cut through the Son. See, Jesus is the very means by which we're invited into this promise of God, into this covenant with God. It is through the loving sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that all of God's purposes are fulfilled, which are what? I mean, God has been clear in Scripture what his purposes are, to secure people for his own possession, 
right? A people who belong to him and to whom he belongs, right? That's what Jeremiah 31 just screams. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is God's purpose. A people who belong to him, who love him and who are loved by him. That's God's purpose in this world. Like for us to be a people who live solely Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone, right? And that we would get to share in the glory of God forever and ever. That's God's purpose in this world, a people to enjoy communion and relationship with forever and ever, to be in this eternal glorious covenant with one another. And that was secured through Jesus. That was secured through his shed blood on the cross. Because of what he did on the cross, we're now called out of darkness and into his light. We who were not a people are now the very people of God. It's through the cross through his loving sacrifice where he paid for our sin and died our death and through that made a way for us to get to the Father. And and it's through the loving sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that God offers all of his promises to us. It's all through Jesus. His promise is, hey, if you choose to follow Jesus and you choose to commit your life to follow Jesus, if you choose that, I promise I will give you eternal life. Right? It's through Jesus. If, if you place your faith in Christ, I promise to pardon you of all of your sin. If you turn to Jesus, God says, if you turn to Jesus, he promises to adopt us into his family that we may be God's children and that we may call him father. That's the promise. Through faith in Christ, through what he did on the cross, God promises that my compassions will fail you not. Through Jesus, he promises, hey, if you turn to Christ and you choose him and you commit your life to him, I promise new mercies. You will see new mercies every day. I will provide everything that you need, and my presence is going to be with you forever to cheer you and to guide you. He promises, I will always be faithful to you. And that promise, he didn't just promise it. He didn't just take an oath, he cut it. And that was made through a covenant cut in the sacrifice of Jesus. In all of God's promises, you know what? They all come to us through and by Jesus. That's what it actually says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all of his promise, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. All of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So the question for all of us in the room is, have you said yes to Christ? Have you said, yes, Lord, I want your promises. Yes, Lord, I want grace. I want forgiveness. I want eternal life. Yes, Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. Yes, Lord, I need forgiving. Will you forgive me, Lord? I need, I need you to do this work. I want eternal life. I want to be part of your purposes. Have you said yes? To him, have you said, yes, Lord, I will enter now into a covenant with you. I choose Jesus. I commit to follow Jesus. Have you, have you done that? Folks, God is immutable. God is unchangeable. And that truth should just fill us with patience. It should fill us completely with faith, patience. We need not live in chronic panic. We don't need to live in chronic despair. 
We don't need to live in a life putting our hopes in false hope and things that disappoint and things that only result in dreams don't come true moments. We can avoid that kind of existence. The reason that we live that way is because we're putting our hopes and wants and dreams and aspirations on things that change, on things that aren't guaranteed. But if we will turn to the Lord who does not change and who always keeps his word, well, that's a whole new ballgame, is it not? So you could turn everything over to, to the Lord. Like this world, everything in this world is in constant flux. We can go to God who is steady and calm, who's stable and who stabilizes us, who will actually provide a firm foundation that can't be shaken or rocked or broken. First, we can live with calm. Is this possible? We can live with peace, but we have to exchange worldly hopes, exchange that for things that can't be changed. God, his purposes, and his promises. Life is hard. Can I get a witness? Life is hard. Always raining. Always raining. We can all be hope-filled followers of Jesus. We can all Avoid being prisoners of the moment. How? Lift your head and gaze upon the heavenly and the eternal. Lift your head. Gaze upon the God who is unchanging. Gaze upon the God who loves you and his love will never change. Gaze your, your eyes. Just gaze on him who is always faithful. and keeps his word and he keeps his promises and nothing can break that. And if we do that, guess what? We'll begin to experience patience. We'll begin to walk more and more with peace in our heart and calm in our soul. No matter how hard it rains, even if there are no more blueberry popsicles. Because God's people, faith and patience, commitment and calm. And that can only be done Because there is a God who does not change. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you to just meditate on that for a minute. Is that how you see God? Do you see God as unchangeable, that his purposes and his promises are unchangeable. If that is really who God is and it is who he is, what effect should that have on your day today? What effect should that have on your week coming up? If God is unchanging, how does that change your outlook in regards to the drip, drip of life? Whether it's you're dealing with a health issue or a relationship issue, a financial issue. If God's character doesn't change and his purposes don't change and his character, his character's purposes and his promises don't change. How should that, what does that mean for your everyday living? 
that not an amazing thing? That God is steadfast and unchanging? Is that not a calming truth? Does it not breathe life into our soul? To know that he is the same today as he was yesterday and he'll be the same tomorrow? Is that not good to know? And it, should that not compel us to worship him more profoundly, loudly, joyfully, and sincerely? Like how amazing is God? He does not change. Husbands and wives, that should have an effect on your marriage. Parents, that should have an effect on how you parent. That should have an effect on how you are at work or in your neighborhood or at school, how you interact with other people. Lord, Father, thank you for revealing the truth about who you are to us. Thank you, Lord, that while we're fickle, you're not. While this world is shaken, you are not. While the world attacks us, Lord, you are steady and strong and good and right, and that never changes. Lord, you have made promises in keeping with your character to fulfill your purposes, Lord, and they're all ratified through the covenant, the new one, through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, thank you so much for giving your life that we would have life. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in the room that there would be no one who would leave this room this morning who has not said yes to the gospel. Lord, I pray that there would be no one who would depart from this building never having said a definitive, Lord, I need you. Lord, please forgive me. I choose Jesus. And if that's you this morning, just pray to the Lord where you are. For the rest of us, Lord, we need to worship you because you are faithful and good. Some of us need to repent, Lord, that we're letting things crush us because we're putting our dreams and the things of the world that we can't trust. So that we're running around with these dreams don't come true, panic attacks. So I ask, Lord, would you help us, guide us, our spirit? That we would be patient, that our faith would be strong, and that we would be calm, no matter how hard it rains. In Jesus' name, amen.